I want to apologize for messing up my announcement at the beginning, but I should point out, Mark, that you kind of messed up too, because you told the guests that they could have lunch, but just not here. But what you failed to mention is that you were buying them all lunch today. <laughs> so all of our guests and uh, any of you who'd like to pretend to be a guest uh, can just can meet Mark. That's uh, Chester's Chop House, one of the most. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. On Sunday mornings, we are in a series uh, that we're calling Better Together, and the whole concept is focusing on the relationships that God gives us in our lives for a reason. Um, He told us at creation, it's not good for man to be alone, that we're designed to work in relationship with one another. Today, we are talking about marriage, as has been said, but this whole series is not exclusively about marriage, and so I want to take just a moment to talk to those of you who are not married um, and let you know that at Northside, if you're not married, that doesn't mean you're a second-class Christian. Uh, sometimes I feel like in the church we have a little bit of bias toward marriage and family. And I have nothing wrong with being married or having a family. I've got both. But uh, we need to understand that there are all sorts of people in the kingdom and uh, so for those of you who are not married, we're going to be speaking to you uh, as well next week. So this is not just focus on marriage and family, but that's particularly what we're talking about today. Uh, we've talked about the relationship between us and Christ, which is, of course, the most important one. Uh, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Uh, then we talked about the relationship with the church. Uh, he is the head and we are the body. Uh, and how it's kind of popular today to bash on the church, uh, but that the church is the beautiful, beloved bride of Christ. And that if we're going to heaven, we need to be a part of his bride. That's very important. And so uh, we took a little break last week because of family camp. I know Jimmy Keys did a great job. But we're going to talk about today the relationship between a man, a husband, and his wife. Um, and so I thought what we'd do is just... I want to ask for your participation in this. Uh, If you will help me out, if you have been married, uh, starting today, if you've been married a year or less, would you stand up? Do we have any year or less? Okay. Isn't that the, this is like what I call the happy dumb phase of marriage. It it is great, it is passionate, it is fantastic, but it is also uh, probably the hardest part of marriage. You guys can be seated. If you have been married uh, between a year and ten years, would you stand up, please? A year to ten years. Some of you husbands having to do math, that's a problem. (laughs) Okay, this is... um, this is kind of uh, the best of times and the worst of times. You're sort of out of the passion, and you're getting into the realities of marriage. Uh, you're learning about each other. You're figuring out what makes each other tick. Um, perhaps there's children in there, but at, 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 this is a different phase. It's a different reality of marriage, and so that's another good one, too. You can sit down. If, if you've been a married, married between 11 and 19 years, would you please stand up? Okay. 
Now, my wife is over there standing by herself. That's the reality of church world. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, this is the phase we're in. Uh, I, I call this the knowing each other phase. Uh, my wife will tell me, you have pretty good control over your tongue, but it's your face that needs deliverance. <laughs> You're... I can tell what you are thinking just by your uh, facial expressions. Um, I can tell what mood she's in just by her breathing patterns. If you're not here yet, gentlemen, let me give you a clue. If you hear your wife go, that's not a good sign. <laughs> but you're, again, you're maturing in love. This is you're in a different phase of your marriage than as a newlywed or a, as a very young married. This is the phase when you're knowing each other and learning what makes each other click. And you've learned to look past all the little annoyances, or at least you're just holding them up in reserve for a really good fight. I don't know, but you're, you're looking past and you're getting to know one another more deeply. If you've been, uh, you guys can sit down. If you've been married 20 to 30 years, please stand up. Okay, here we are. We've set in, we've decided we're going to run the marathon. We've decided we're going to go the distance. That's a good thing. I, I'm not here yet, but I, I hope to make it to this phase alive. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. But thank you guys for deciding uh, that you desire to go the distance. You can sit down. If you've been married between 31 and 49 years, please stand up. See, this is when it gets, it gets good again. You start to get grandchildren and you, you enjoy the blessings of, of, of having gotten through the child rearing phase and you're beginning to reap the fruit of the union that you have together. Uh, I think it's a most, one of the most wonderful thing, uh, and one of the most wonderful phases of marriages we're looking forward to not just knowing one another, but really setting a legacy. With your children, with your grandchildren, you begin to see and begin to look toward the horizon of your life and you begin to realize that the legacy and the impact of your life will be left by your children and their children. Have a seat. And uh, to give honor to whom honor is due, if you have been married 50 years or longer, would you stand up today? I want to tell you with all sincerity, praise God for you. Praise God for holding up the value of keeping the covenant. Uh, just today, in fact, we've got a couple of anniversaries. Uh, Herman and Doris Neely, and, and Ted, I know you were bragging about 58, but Herman and Doris celebrate number 63 today. 63. That's wonderful. You all show us how to truly go the distance. And thank you for that. And thank you for not giving up on each other and show it giving us a great example to follow. You may be seated. It's my, it's my belief that no matter what you do, that the longer you do it, the, the, the more that you practice it, the more that you engage with it, the better you get. Uh, there was a famous uh, book written ab about, uh, it was, uh, the title is eluding me at the moment, but he basically said that 
Anyone who becomes a master at their craft has to invest 20,000 intentional, purposeful hours. So he studied people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and people who are very, very successful. And time and time again, the number one factor in their success was the time they devoted to it. So if the longer you've been married, if you're intentional about it, if you're you're purposeful about it, if you're thoughtful about it, if you're intent on going the distance with your spouse, I think the better you'll get. I hope that you were paying attention this morning. Because if you were one of those first four groups, those first four or five groups to stand up, I hope you paid attention to the people who stood up after you. I hope that you will go to them and ask Herman and Doris, what do you do, Herman, to be a good husband? And Doris, what's the key to being a good wife? Because someone who's been successful at it has lots of good counsel to give. Tony and Kristen Weber celebrate number 34 it is today, right? Uh, you could go to Tony and Kristen uh, and, and say, what does it take to go the distance in your marriage? To get to the point where you, you know each other, you depend on each other, you trust one another. Because marriage is not always easy. Uh, you'll notice the icon today for, for our, our lesson is peanut butter and jelly. Uh, I picked that not because I necessarily love peanut butter and jelly, but because marriage is sticky. It's designed to be sticky in a couple of ways. First, it's, you know, you take peanut butter and jelly, you have two substances that are very different, and you put them together. They're, they're made to adhere together, ideally, if you know how to make a peanut butter sandwich properly. But, but marriage can also be sticky. There's another definition of the word sticky. Uh, if you say, well, we've got a little bit of a sticky situation here. What you're saying is we've got a sticky uh, situation with problems and trouble and maybe some awkwardness and some difficulty with it. And I think this word works well to, today. So we're going to talk about having sticky marriages. Not just a marriage of two people who are very different, but who stay together and go the distance. But having a marriage that we can honestly admit, if you've got two people who are broken, two people who are flawed, if you've got sin, if you've got selfishness, anytime you bring those two things together, you're going to have trouble. Uh, marriage is not easy. Can I get an oh yeah? Now, I don't mean to take away from the honor that we've given this morning, but any one of them would tell you, from, especially from groups three, four, and five, there's not easy, it's not always easy. Child rearing is hard. Working together is hard. Getting through difficulties is hard. And so if you're going to be a sticky marriage, a lasting marriage, you've got to stick it out. And you've got to be committed to one another throughout the thick and the thin. So today we're going to talk about how to have a sticky marriage and how to address those sticky situations that come up in marriage. In order to be sticky, a sticky marriage takes time. And that's the acronym we're going to use this morning, T-I-M-E. The first thing sticky marriages need is togetherness. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, 
verse 24. Genesis chapter 2, someone said this morning that the Bible is the handbook. And that's true. There, however, are not to-do lists. There's not very specific instructions. There's principles of marriage that we're going to look at. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 is kind of the first time that we see marriage mentioned in any sort of way. And God said this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, i got a story to tell, but i got to be careful because my in-laws not too long ago placed membership at Northside. Doug and Diana Smith are right down here, and they, let me just, before I tell the story, they are great in-laws. I love them. Uh, they, they are good. They are gracious. They are generous. They're faithful. They're thoughtful. Have I, have I said all the words you told me to say, Doug? <laughs> when we got married, Christy and I took a job in Phoenix, Arizona. And I went into youth ministry with a church out there, a great church. And the reason I chose Phoenix was because of Genesis 2.24. I didn't have anything to do with running away from my in-laws. It, it just was this, this idea that I really believed within my heart that if I wanted our marriage to last, we had to learn to rely on one another in a city where we didn't know anyone, in a place where we were far removed from family, and we had to learn to work together. A marriage that's going to last has to learn to pull away from their families, pull away from their friendships, and focus on one another. Now, not everyone can do that, but in some way, a husband and wife have to be intentional and purposeful about pulling away from all other influences, friendships, family uh, relatives, any, any of that uh, influence, and putting the marriage first. Uh, those were great years, just two of them, but those were also hard years. It's in that first two years that conversations like, are you really squeezing the toothpaste out that way? It was in the first two years that I realized that for the first 21 years of my life, I had been folding towels all wrong. What are we learning in those first two years? In those first two years, Christy and I were learning for the first time in our lives. When we got up in the morning, we had someone else to think about besides ourselves, And that's the key to it. If you're going to make your marriage last, you've got to get out of yourself. And to do that, you have to be able to focus fully and completely on someone else. Because if your marriage is going to go the distance, let me tell you, you're going to face some stuff. You're going to face health problems. You're going to face a job loss. You're going to face the loss of a child. You're going to face all sorts of stuff. And if you don't learn to stop focusing on yourself, your marriage is going to be very hard and very strained through those times. That's why marriages need a time when they can focus on one another. My grandparents, uh, both of whom have passed away, were married 59 years. And right before my grandmother died, I would go up and visit her, and I have recorded on my phone some of our conversations. And I asked her, I said, Grandma, you and Grandpa were married 59 years. 
what, what advice would you give? And she kind of thought for a second, and she said, you know, Hoy, which is my grandfather, said, Hoy and I, we took family vacations every year. And I said, oh, good. Well, Christy and I do that too. She said, well, no, honey, you take family trips. Hoy and I would send the children away to the grandparents, and just he and I would go on vacation together. And we tried to do that once a year throughout our marriage. Nothing against family trips. That's fine. But, and I can speak from experience on this, it's aptly right not to call it a vacation. Children have a way of sapping the life out of you. (laughs) And so when you have times away from the children, you have more energy, more enthusiasm. You start to feel young again. And that's one of the beautiful things about grandparents. So we have this time where we focus on one another. So if you're married, let me ask you, do you have a time where you're together? I mean together, just you and your spouse, like you were on your honeymoon, like you were when you dated. I want to encourage you, whether you take a a true husband and wife vacation, whether it's a weekly date night, or whether it's just having some time each day, where you close the door to the bedroom and you have a, a, a true conversation. You put the iPhones away and, and you just say, how is it going? And you focus on one another. That's a good thing to do. If you want your marriage to last, you have to pull away from everyone else. You have to step out of yourself and you have to focus on each other. Secondly, sticky marriages need intimacy. Now, uh, Jesus talked about marriage. Some people say, well, Jesus never addressed marriage. No, that's not true. Uh, He was very specific about it. Turn to Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. In the context, people were kind of asking Jesus, is it all right? Is divorce okay? Because Moses allowed us to do this for any and every reason. And I'm not going to go into all the context of that, but I just want to focus on what he said in Matthew chapter 19. He answered... Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Intimacy is closeness. At all levels. And it's not just the physical closeness. It's that emotional connection. It's the intellectual connection. It's the spiritual connection. And if you're going to have intimacy with your spouse, you need to have more than just physical connection. Young people, uh, I could speak to you just for a moment and say that there are a lot of people who are single who want married privileges. And married privileges are wonderful, but they're for marriage. Don't be with someone who only wants your naked body and has nothing to do with your naked soul. That's shallow. Jesus called us to something deeper and more purposeful in our relationships. So when you're, you're saying, I want to be pure and I want to hold myself true for my spouse, that's a beautiful thing. Because you're saying, I'm saving that part of me, that intimate part of me, 
for my spouse someday? Jesus would say, that's honorable. You have to be intentional if you're going to become intimate. You have to be thoughtful and watchful. Um, I found this. um, It was written by Ronald Reagan in 1971. And he wrote it to his son, Mike, after he had gotten married. And I thought his words were very good and talking about a little bit of what we're addressing on this point. He said, Dear Mike, you've heard all the jokes that have been rousted by unhappy marrieds and cynics. Now, in case no one has suggested it, here is another viewpoint. You have entered into the most meaningful relationship there is in all of human life. It can be whatever you decide to make it. Some men feel that their masculinity can only be proven if they play out in their own life all the locker room stories, smugly confident that what a wife doesn't know won't hurt her. The truth is, somehow, way down inside, without ever finding lipstick on the collar or catching a man in a flimsy excuse of where he was till 3 a.m., a wife does know, and with that knowing, some of the magic of the relationship disappears. There is an old law of physics that you can only get out of a thing as much as you put into it. The man who puts into marriage only half of what he owns will get that exactly out. Sure, there will be moments when you will see someone or you'll think back to an earlier time and you will be challenged to see if you can still make the grade. But let me tell you how really great is the challenge of proving your masculinity And charm with one woman for the rest of your life. I love what he says. Any man can find a twerp here or there who will go along with the cheating. And it doesn't take all that much manhood. It does take, however, quite a man to remain attractive and to be loved by a woman who has heard him snore, who has seen him unshaven, who has tended him while he was sick, and who has washed his dirty underwear. You do that, and you keep her still feeling a warm glow about you, and you will know some very beautiful music. Now, I'll stop here and say, you may or may not know that Reagan was married more than once. And this is what he says. Mike, you know better than many what an unhappy home is, and what it can do to others. Now you have the chance to make it come out the way it should. There is no greater happiness for a man than approaching a door at the end of the day and knowing that someone on the other side of that that door is waiting for the sound of his footsteps. See, if you're going to be intimate... You have to work at it, but you also have to protect it. Several months ago, the world kind of got up in arms about our vice president. And the scandal? The scandal was that Vice President Pence had a rule. And that rule was this, that unless his wife is there, he never eats alone with another woman. And he said of that, quote, it's about building a zone Around your marriage. I don't know why that's so scandalous. That's the way husbands ought to be. That's the way wives ought to be about their marriage. 
See, he desires intimacy and closeness, and he knows that the only way to do that is to protect it, to honor it, to value the commitment that he made. Now, lest I give a couple illustrations from the world, let me give a better one. Proverbs chapter 5. The wisest man who ever lived was, admittedly, not the greatest on marriage. Solomon wrote these words to his son. And in the same way, I think Reagan was using his imperfection to try to teach his son. He said this, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing uh, water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for your strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, it doesn't take a great deal of insight to understand that he's not talking about water here. He's talking about intimacy. And he's saying the value of intimacy is intimacy that's protected and reserved for one, for you and your wife. If you're not a fan of that, go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. The writer says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. I realize that's not in vogue with what the world, how the world, the marriage bed. But we do understand that the marriage bed in God's eyes is to be a holy place, not just for physical intimacy, but for emotional, spiritual, intellectual Uh, intimacy and closeness. So a marriage to last has to have intimacy, but if you're going to have intimacy, you have to work at it. Third, to have a sticky marriage, you have to have maturity. Now, these are the verses that were read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Actually, the the verses that were read were 4 through 7. Verse 8 simply says this, love never fails. He's speaking in context, by the way, not about marriage advice. He's speaking in context about spiritual gifts to a church that has all sorts of spiritual immaturity. And he's saying, listen, speaking in tongues and healing, all that cool stuff that you guys are getting dysfunctional about, all that's going to go away. What's going to remain is one thing, love. And his advice is to a church, but I think it's equally good for a marriage. You have to love one another. And what I mean by love is not chicken love. You know what chicken love is, right? There are some people who really, really, really love chicken. There are some restaurants that serve chicken to people who really, really love chicken. But when I, I mean, when some person says that they love chicken... That's really not true. Because if I love chicken, I would bring baby chicks home. I would feed them and water them. I'd put them in a protective cage. I'd make sure that they grew up strong and healthy. I'd play with them every day. I'd make sure they had plenty of exercise and make sure that those chickens lived a full and healthy life. But I don't love chicken in that way. I love chicken when it's been killed. When it's been plucked, 
when it's been sliced into little bitty pieces and put a vats of boiling oil. <laughs> Do you understand? I don't love chicken. I love, I love what chicken does for me. And to too many people, that's what they mean when they say, I love. When I say, I love Christie and I love Chick-fil-A, it's not the same thing. It's close sometimes. <laughs> I love chicken, and it ain't true. I love what chicken does for me. I love chicken, how, how chicken makes me feel. And some people treat their relationships, and even worse, some people treat their marriage like that. They say, you know, they ignore their spouse all day. Not say a word one. Get ready to fall into bed after a, after a long day and then tap him on the shoulder. That's not love. That's chicken love. That's not right. You've got to love one another in an unselfish and mature way. The scripture says love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. Marriage takes mature love. Now, for those of you who stood up at the very beginning, the happy, dumb love, I, I'm, not, I'm not bashing you here. That's a great time. But let me tell you, your love should grow so much deeper and wider and longer and higher. And it will if you'll learn to be unselfish. When you've driven your spouse to the doctor multiple times, you understand what love is. When you've cared for a sick spouse for several days on end, you understand what love is. Is when you do something for your spouse that you don't enjoy doing, but because you know that they love that. That's love. That's mature. It's unselfish love. And that's what it takes for marriage to last. The example I can think here at Northside is Russie and Willa Rose Dennis. Russie and Willa Rose for many years, many, many years, served faithfully nearly every shower, nearly every funeral, nearly every wedding. They were there serving and working and serving together. Now, I don't know exactly how long Russie and Willa Rose have been married, but I can tell you this morning that Willa Rose is not in great health. She is not what she once was. And Russie is just as faithful every single day to care for her and love her. Their love has grown and matured past the honeymoon phase. Their love is more mature and, and much deeper than ours is. Marriage has to grow from selfish to selfless. The more selfless you become, the stronger your marriage gets. Now, if there are a lot of elbows flying this morning, I'm not talking to your spouse. I'm talking to you. You say, well, I'll be uh, less selfish when they start doing this, 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 and this. And then I'll listen. That's the crazy cycle. Stop it. You've got to pull out and you've got to say, what can I do? Could I challenge you? I want you to make a list of all the things that you want out of your spouse. I want them to do this and I want them to be more kind and I want them to be more patient. I want all these things. Just go ahead and make your list. 
And instead of expecting them to do that, just assume they never will. And instead, you start living out every single thing that you want from them. You want them to be more patient? You be more patient. If you'd like them to help more around the house, you start helping out more around the house. If you'd like for them to put their phone away and pay attention to you, then you put down yours. Start with you. The more selfless you become, the stronger your marriage will get. And the more selfish you become, the weaker it will get. And finally, sticky marriages need effort. Ephesians chapter 5 is such a good one. And there's so much depth here. And usually it's talking, people go to Ephesians 5 to talk about marriage. But it's really talking about so much more than that. Paul says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And I'll just go, because we're running out of time, to verse 33. Let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. A marriage needs love and respect. Here's why. Verse 32. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. When you do marriage right, when you put the effort in, when you take the time, when the man loves his wife, By giving himself to love her. By giving up himself to love her. When the husband gives up herself by laying down her own will and submitting herself to respect him. And marriage does what happens with Christ and the church. Christ loved the church enough to give himself up. To lay down his life. And the church submits to him in everything. You see, the goal of marriage, by the way, is not happiness. Oh, I do think joy and happiness will come, but not if that's the goal. The goal in marriage should be holiness, not happiness. When Jesus died for you and I, his goal was to not make us happy, but to make us holy. And when we submit to Christ, it doesn't always make us happy. There are things about following Christ that are hard. But when we submit to him, we'll gain great joy. As he sanctifies us and works that out in our lives. So the goal then of marriage should be to help each other get to heaven. That's the goal for your spouse is to ask yourself sincerely. Am I helping my husband or wife get to heaven? Will they be there on that day? Because of anything that I've done to encourage their relationship with Christ. The saddest thing in the world. On judgment day will be for you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And for you to come into heaven alone. May we, as husband and wife, encourage each other and help each other. And by the way, if you're dating someone or if you're in a relationship or if you're thinking about it, you should ask yourself, will this person help me get to heaven? Will this person help me to know Christ and grow in Christ? If not, uh, you should think seriously before you enter into that marriage. And if you're in that marriage, I want you to work it out. But I want you to remember the goal is to help each other get to heaven. This holy union between Christ and his bride begins in that water right there. And if you haven't made that first step, I want to encourage you to do so. And we'll help you to join the bride of Christ. Or if you have any other need in your marriage or in your family, let us pray with you. Let our shepherds help you. Don't wait until you're at crisis stage to call myself or the elders. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you today, this morning. Whatever we can do, let us help you together as we stand and sing.